You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 284. False. When things change, I'll be happy. True. When I am happy, things will change. Kyle Cease. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from, who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valjuras, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Well, guys, today we have a really special episode. We have on the show Kyle Cease. Now, Kyle is a former stand-up comic and actor who decided to leave that world behind after having multiple successful stand-up specials on Comedy Central and so much success as a comedian and an actor. He decided to leave that all behind to take his talents and help people transform their lives and evolve as not only creative people, but as human beings, as as souls. And Kyle and I had this amazing conversation about transformation, how to look deeply within, and how you can transform your own life, not only for your creativity and for your filmmaking dream and screenwriting dream, but also for your own evolution as a soul on this planet. So I need you to get ready for this one, because this one's going to knock you on your ass. Without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with Kyle Cease. I'd like to welcome to the show, Kyle Cease. How you doing, Kyle? I'm so good, man. It's so good to see you. Good seeing you too, man. I, I, I We were just talking before we started recording that, you know, we both come from the insane world of the entertainment business and two different fields. And I've walked over some of the same corpses that you have over the years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, the same man. shrapnel. Uh, which brings me to my very first question. I always love, I, I've worked with a lot of stand-up comics throughout my career as a director, and uh, they're very interesting uh, a group of people. Yeah. And, and I've always found that comedians are not the happiest people I've ever met, uh, and they're 
they got deep things going on and, and it's interesting. I love to find out what drew you to comedy because it is arguably one of the toughest things to do, stand-up comedy specifically, yeah. to do in the entertainment business. Well, you know, one aspect of why I was so lucky was I started it so young that I didn't get to get to the stage where it would be a scary thing. In fact, it, mm. it actually birthed after I'd been doing it for 15 years. So in other words, like when you're a kid, you just, you know, well, and there's other aspects too. I will say I was born into a family that energetically had some aspect of themselves that were used to being in the entertainment industry. So my uncle was the prop man for Gallagher. Um, I am old so, enough. I am old enough to remember Gallagher. Sir. Yes. Right. And he'd spent time also doing a lot of carrot tops props too. But when I was in like second grade, I remember us spending time in Gallagher's warehouse. I mean, is there any way better to get a child into stand-up comedy than Gallagher? Cause his, his, his giant toys and smashing fruit and, and then having this intellectual conversation I, as a child, really remember also feeling connected to my dad through that. Like my dad was always playing new Gallagher specials and laughing. And that's where my dad seemed to light up. And that's where I felt a connection to him. So I, as a child, uh, wanted to feel that love with him. And I, I feel like unconsciously stand-up comedy was a given that that's the way to do it. I remember very well in second grade, Mrs. Blaylock, my teacher in second grade, giving me five minutes to do whatever I wanted at the end of the week and me doing Gallagher's material, which was funny because I was talking about sex and taxes with a Southern accent and didn't get any of the jokes. I would, and I would use props to it. I'd have my dad's underwear and be like, women, you go out shopping, you buy us underwear that fits cardboard. Am I right guys? I'm saying, am I right guys to second graders and uh, <laughs> you know, doing this stand-up act and really feeling the most entertaining TV to me was either sitcoms or stand-up comedy. I was not very much into cartoons. I really loved, like my favorite show as a child was A&E's An Evening at the Improv. And then watching all these comics was amazing. And so I was doing it throughout elementary school. I was doing assemblies and different things like that. And, you know, I think one aspect I'm realizing now as I do so much inner work and awareness work is that even though it was my passion and my highest drive, I believe it also kept me safe, meaning like my feeling of safety with my father was that we bonded through comedy. Like my dad was often in it. I love my dad, but he was often as a child, he was in his head, didn't feel like he was there. And I felt loved if stand-up comedy was involved, right? So we bonded via TV. We bonded through laughing. And so I kind of wonder if my dream career that was like my, you know, my dharma and my calling was actually, you know, me not getting hurt or me not getting unseen mm -hmm. and, you know, me creating this thing that I had to do for safety and for expansion. And, um, you know, in junior high, I noticed I am, I, I was a chubby kid, but I am so loved if I'm doing stand up, if I do an assembly, if I speak at something, I, I'm getting more loved. And so I was doing comedy clubs, small comedy clubs at 12, 13, 14, and then like public access shows and being able to walk into school and be like, did you guys see me on TV yesterday? And then at 15, I was like a middle act at comedy clubs. And, um, and so because of that, I learned how to be a comedian before I learned how to be a person. 
And all of the aspects of what I needed to know how to be as a person continue to grow now. It's like, there's a quote, I don't remember what the actual quote is or, or, you know, the basis of it. But once you get famous, and I'm sure not saying I was a, a child star, but once you have this recognition for a talent, you kind of stop growing. In other words, mm -hmm. like I, I was able to dry off my tears with stand up at night or get love with stand up or get attention with stand up or be seen. And so it was hard for me to develop the same way I think as most people, because I was a comedian, also a musician, a singer and different things. So I had this constant weapon to get love and to be seen. And it wasn't until I was like in my mid 20s that with my career through the roof and everything that I actually developed stage fright for the first time. And it was just because I had almost taken for granted that I could just do this. And I was touring so much that I ended up finally at one point creating stage fright. And that was what opened the door to my entire conscious awakening, going through a, a, a motivational Tony Robbins phase and that shifting to me understanding vibration and flow and now really understanding more and more than now. All of those happened when the aspects of my ability to hide behind my success were starting to fall apart, right? They needed to, to get me to find me. And so, so yeah, so I didn't, it, it is a hard business, but for me, I was almost unaware almost, of that. Almost born into it, if you will. Yeah, yeah, kind of. My grandma was also a puppeteer on the Carol Burnett show. I also have an uncle who's a Grammy-nominated jazz musician on my mom's side. I My grandma on my mom's side was a massive political activist. Like it was this very happy birthday was in five-part harmony in my house, right? And <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so there was a lot of just given that we're, this is a thing that is part of me, that I'm an entertainer, but that I didn't learn a lot of the aspects of being a person or at least aware as a human being and, and even higher than that uh, until way later. No, no, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've read both of your books. I've studied a lot of the things you've done. And what I find fascinating about your story is, and you've kind of touched upon it in that first answer, which is you had a very successful comedy career. I mean, you had comedy yeah. specials, you had number one comedy specials, you're touring all the time, you know, you're making a living doing what arguably you love to do. But as you said, things started to fall apart. And this is where historically a lot of comics destroy themselves. Yes. They, they, they start going down, you know, you know, obviously the James Belushi's and these kind of these yes. folks, you know, that start to destroy themselves, but you didn't do that. So what was the thing that caused you to go towards the direction you went to? That's a great question. Um, so one of the things is weird. I'm going to bring up 2020 and 2021 for a second, because mm -hmm. I think it ties to this. But one of the things I see this time as being is the fall apart of our false identities. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you look at 2019, you might have had a decent enough job or the ability to escape via travel or going to restaurants effortlessly or whatever. <laughs> you, 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 you just had a medium enough relationship, whatever, that you didn't have to go within. 
And then it's almost like 2020 just collapsed all of these little false identities, right? That that you are a whatever, that your identity is your connection to your family. Well, a lot of families separated in the last two years, right? That your identity is your career. Well, a lot of people got laid off. That your identity is that you're someone who gives all authority to outside of you, the media, the government, whatever. And now you kind of are questioning what the hell's going on. This is a what I see as the universe's a way of making us go inward, you know, like instead of looking at it from what's going on with them, like the governments or whatever, it's this opportunity to go inward. I started realizing that every time something is falling apart in our lives, it's trying to kill what we think we are, but not what we truly are. And so as a stand-up comic, I at one point was so the the first fall apart happened. When I, I was at one point really successful as a stand-up comic, I had done a ton of colleges. I had headlined a lot of clubs and it was just a thing that I do. There was not a part of me that even asked, asked anything deeper about what I am. You just go to the next gig, make money, get partying with people, have a great time, whatever, go to the next gig, have a great time. Well, at one point I'm on stage and I, at that point, maybe 25, 26, I could do my act in my sleep. I could go on stage and I just performed every single night, an hour and a half or so a night at these colleges and killed so hard that it wasn't challenging me. And I could go on stage and and be spacing out and deliver, not even know what I'm saying and just like run the motions, kill, have a really good response. But I, it didn't challenge me to keep creating. I could do my act. You know what I'm saying? It was like I had the act and sometimes it would write itself more on stage. But I really believe that if you're not creating, uh, your your mind will creatively sabotage you, <laughs> right? It'll come up with stuff. So one day I'm on stage. I'll never forget this. I'm in Mesquite, Nevada, and I'm on stage and I'm killing. And out of nowhere, my mind goes, I wonder if you could think about it enough if you could make yourself faint. That was the thought I had. And, and I remember right when I thought that, I started like whiting out. And so I thought, oh my God. And then you know that thing where people say, you can't not think about something, like don't think of pink elephants thing. You know what I'm right. talking about? Yeah, of course. So I started believing about that. You can't not think about something. So I'm basically, this unraveled this thought. I'm on stage doing different material while inside I'm going in, like there's two me's going on. There's a me outside delivering standup and there's a me inside going, you can't not think about something. So what, what if you just keep thinking about fainting and then you'll faint when you're on stage and it'll ruin your career. And the underlying belief is I am my career. Right. Like, I don't know anything I am without my career. Like, there's no reason to live without my career that like I am this person that has these sets. I get love from this. I, I haven't gotten to a depth yet that investigated anything past that. So it was just like, what if you think about it so much, if you'll make yourself faint, this started snowballing into the craziest thing. And the other thing was the year before I had done at one point like 200 colleges in a row and every flight, every gig was two flights away or more. And I didn't sleep, lived on drive through drank, had coffee. And then, you know, at the end of that tour was able to be on autopilot, yet my body was gone. It There was no, 
you know, your your life is your career, so you're not even thinking sleep. You, I would go on stage and have just be so exhausted, and then the act would make me so hyper and excited that I would wake up when I need to go to sleep because it's night, you know. And then everyone wants to party, and you're hanging out with people. It was just the craziest thing, you know, because I you, now you're excited. You have you have to get to the airport at 4 a.m. That's three hours away in a different time zone. So you'd stay up with these these people or you hang out or you're just too high in your own hotel room and you can't sleep. So you get like 40 minutes of sleep, drive to the next gig, two, three flights away. So imagine on top of this sabotaging thinking, my body is just dead. It ha there's no nutrition in it. There's no I've hit a wall of exhaustion that is unbelievable. Right. So all of that's in there. So the beginning of all of my shift was this first fear where what if I think about it and then it'll ruin my career? Like basically the crazy kind of brilliant creative thinking, but in the negative is you'll not be able to stop thinking about fainting when you're on stage and that will ruin your career and then you'll be nothing. Right. And so I walk off stage after that first night and everyone's going great show and I'm going, I'm going to faint. And I know it sounds so stupid and weird, but it was really profound for me because I'm like, you guys, it'll be this thing. And people would just kind of belittle it like, oh, it's nothing. And I'd be like, that makes me be like, no, I'm going to prove it to you. It's really bad. Like we love to prove our limitations. Right. And <laughs> and I'm going to prove it to you like you're wrong. This is really a nightmare. This started becoming a thing I'd worry about all day. I'm going to faint when I'm on stage and that will be the end of my career. Right. This built bigger and bigger and bigger <clears throat> while I'm at this the biggest height of it becoming a snowballing, crazy panic attack, anxiety thing. I book my first Comedy Central appearance on the show Premium Blend. Mm. And my manager says, you just got Premium Blend. This is big. And he goes, don't blow it. And I'm like, it's six months out. How could I blow it? And I'm like, what if I faint on Premium Blend? And I'm like, that's my big opportunity. I finally get this Comedy Central career down. I have all the foundation. And now I get this stupid freaking anxiety. And I'm like, what if I faint when I'm on it? I know this sounds crazy, but it was really wow. huge. And so I start thinking I'm going to I'm going to faint when I'm on Premium Blend. I start picturing it. I start going through this whole thing. For six months, this gets to a point where I almost can't do gigs anymore. I remember going to an assembly. I'm performing at a junior high assembly. I'm with this girl that I was dating at the time. And she's like, baby, you're not going to faint. And I'm like, I'm so, I like, I'm so, it's crazy. And they had this huge wide open hardwood floor, like a gym floor. And I, for the first time, start wobbling. And I see her in the audience, like, oh my God, he's going to faint. And I grab a chair. Now I'm, I'm in a chair now. Like this is the first time I'm doing my act sitting. And this is proving to me, oh my God, it's going to be a horrible thing. Like you're going to, it's, it's, it's this thing. This gets to the point where now that was so traumatic that I had almost the reverse, the opposite of claustrophobia. In other words, I was scared of giant gym floors. Like, and if I was walking on any hardwood floor, whoever I was dating at the time would have to hold my hand with me. Wow, and like, I, this grad gravitated to, I almost can't walk yet. I'm still taking gigs because I am, I am, you know, these gigs and I don't know anything past it. So I'm going through airports and I'm, and I'm unable to walk. And I'm like, I remember going through the Chicago airport and that long underground thing where the lights are mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm kneeling on a, a baggage cart along the thing because I can't I can't walk anymore. I'm trying to get to the next gig. And I do premium blend. 
and I'm in full anxiety. It's like the only time in my life I took a half a Xanax. I go on stage and all I'm thinking of is don't faint, don't faint, get through this set. I do an eight minute set in six minutes because I'm trying not to faint. So my act is crazy fast. My feet are turned in. If anyone watches my premium blend, you can see I'm holding the mic stand. I'm just trying not to faint the whole time. It's crazy how much this escalated into a thing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I walk off stage and somehow the weird, awkward, don't faint energy that's flying through me causes me to kill. And Comedy Central goes, we're giving you a half hour special. Of course. And the girl I was dating is like, oh shit, now he's going to worry about fainting on that. You know, and what I ended up doing was first, I ended up going to the hospital to get anxiety medication, but the hospital took too long. So I'm in a waiting room and I'm like, I'm going to get pills for this. This could have been, I'm sure not saying what anyone should do, but this could have been where I turned into John Belushi. Right. But luckily the hospital took too long. I'm in a waiting room for 45 minutes and I hear this voice go, get up. And it goes, get out of here. We're not going to do it. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. And I have this moment where this, this thing like goes, let's just figure it out. I know we have no idea what the hell we're doing. Let's just go. Because I was at almost suicidal level. I mean, I was really feeling like killing myself. I have a yes, these comedy central specials and I'm not, I can't get out of this. And I, that, there's no reason to live. And you get why. If you're identified with the thing, and it's not just fame, it's it's your relationship. You're identified as your mother's kid, but she won't talk to you. You're identified as that that achiever, and now you can't achieve. You're identified as a victim, and no one believes you, whatever. These patterns are trying so hard to fall out of you. You're people pleaser, whatever, right? So I go and I grab... Um, I go, I, I go for a drive. I remember calling my mom and being like, I'm going to heal this. And she's like, why do you think you have something wrong with it? I'm like, I just heard a voice. Like, I'm just nuts now. <laughs> and I, I go to a, a borders. That's how long ago this was. Ooh. And I look up and look up anxiety and I find a Tony Robbins book, awaken the giant within. And I'm like, okay, this is where I get this first hit of a new possibility. He's talking about you. Yeah. You can't not think about something. Like I have that pink elephant thing. You can't not think about this, but you also can't think of two things at the same time. So what if instead I'm picturing, this is basic law of attraction stuff, but this at this moment was the first moment I heard this. It's like, what if you picture, I started thinking, what if I picture that instead of, I hope I don't faint on the Comedy Central special that I have the number one Comedy Central special. So I start walking around my house and just saying out loud, okay, I do the Comedy Central special. It's number one. I'm not bringing up the anxiety at all. I'm like, it's the best, the Comedy Central special, blah, blah, blah. Then my mind starts talking about the special that's after that one because it was such a success. And within a few days, the anxiety is kind of gone. And then I, but then this opened a door with like, how good could it be? It's like, not just get out of the anxiety. It's like, how good could this be? So for several months, I just am waking up and doing this taking my soul to the gym. I have a number one Comedy Central special, whatever. Cut to the end of 2005. I'm recording a 2006 special. It's giant standing ovation. I'm confident. I'm in the pocket. There's no anxiety. And it and it was at the top rated special, the most played special of 2006. So then this started this total 
achiever stage. This is not where I am now, but this started the focus on your outcome stage. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that's the highest stage, but I think that's a stage that can be very necessary to go from a victim to an achiever, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is when one of the things that I think is going on in the world is our false selves are falling apart. If you're identified as the self that falls apart, you're going to go down with it. Right. So if you keep being like this relationship might be trying to fall apart, but if you think your only source of love is this relationship, you might attach to it and try to keep it going. And life is going to kick your ass. It's just going to be like, you're too attached to this. You're identified with this. And life is trying to get us to cry out these patterns that maybe you think that relationship's the only thing because it actually equals your childhood. Meaning like this person feels just like dad, dad always abandoned me. So I'm going to date someone who always abandons me or mom. I'm always shame me. So I'm dating a person who shamed me. And now this person and I are breaking up. So that would mean my mom's leaving me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's perfect sense. So in this time, you either are going down or up. If you are identified as the thing that's falling apart, you are how much money you make. And your dad said, good job. So that's falling apart. You're losing your dad's approval from 1974. And you and you think that's you now. You're either going to fall apart. So I would imagine without knowing anything about what was going on and really in John Belushi's mind, that a lot of those stars, they got such a massive worldwide love when they became famous and they're identified as that. So that has to go perfect. Well, if that has to go perfect, man, and you're not just the now and this unfolding being, you're now an SNL star and a movie star. This gets the point where you don't get an audition or someone doesn't like you or whatever. And it's just, it takes nothing, right? Like I remember when, if you, I would used to audition for different movie roles and you'd feel like when I booked, I booked 10 things I hate about you and not another teen movie. When I got those parts, like they were like my identity, like cheerleaders from high school suddenly had a crush on me that I was the nerdy kid. And now, you know, and and then you'd book and you'd get another audition and not get it. And you, if if that thing is the source of my happiness, then the 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 thing not happening is the source of my sadness, right? So these are trying to fall apart. If if you grab onto the true essence of what you are, you'll go up. If you grab onto it, you'll go down. And that's the, what's fascinating about your story is you literally started to, your mind started to break down. Like it started to break down this whole thing around you to the point where you couldn't walk. Yes. Like that's fascinating to me. So yeah. it's as opposed to. Which shows you how to, powerful it is. It's extremely powerful on both ways. You can go up yeah. or you can go down and that, right. that mind is extremely powerful, but you were crippled over months, over yes. months of time. You were crippling yourself little by little because you were, you're, it's just a really interesting psychological um, example of what happened to you. Yes. And then that switch when Tony Robbins' book kind of gave you a different focus on that power, it started to go up again because you you use that same, that same mind, the same drive in the mind, but you started to go, well, what, what if it's the number one special? Not yeah. what if I faint? And I love the idea of not having, you can't keep two thoughts in your mind at the same time, which is a very, yeah. very powerful, powerful thing. And, and I, you know, you said John Belushi. I mean, I remember when he died, he was biggest movie, number one movie, number one show, 
number one album. He had a comedy album was number one as well. Yeah, he was literally at the on the top, at the top of the world, and it just he went down. The way he co- coped with it was with drugs. The way you coped with it is your mind just started to break you down. Yes. And yes. if you and if you would have gotten those drugs at that hospital, I wonder if I'd be dead. I wonder if I if the if the if Kaiser Permanente <laughs> had been faster when I checked in there. I, you know, because they probably would have just given me something to numb this versus see what's causing it. And had right. I gotten pills, I really wonder, I don't know, maybe I still would have had that drive to override it and be like, I'm going to get off the pills and fix this. But like, you sure get like, if all I'm feeling is anxiety and suicidal and not worthy, like alcohol is going to sound good, you know, like, like so this I, is, I need something to numb this. So this is very interesting and, and, and very poignant. In, in the conversation where most most people in America, let's say, or in the Western worlds, they look for things to numb their yes. pain. And yes. that could be drugs, that could be Netflix, that could be sex, that could be food, mm. yes. that could be you know relationships, that could be sex. I mean, it could be a million things to numb what you were going through. And I think we yes. all go through that in one way, shape or form. I mean, I've told the story, I'll tell you the, the quick story of my numbness of when I identified as a director and my entire world was identified as a filmmaker. I was then the universe said, oh, really? Okay, well, we're going to give you a shot to make a $20 million movie, but there's just a little catch to it. You're going to have to deal with a psychotic bipolar gangster who's going to take you on the journey. And I literally was stuck in the mafia for nine months trying to make a movie for an ex-gangster wow. Where then I was flown out to Hollywood and I met the biggest movie stars in the world, biggest agents, biggest, I did everything, did the water bottle tour, did the whole thing multiple times, even met Batman, had a whole chapter in my book about how I sat in Batman's house and we talked about him. Are we talking Michael Keaton or? Uh, It's Val Kilmer. Um, But it's it's Val Kilmer in 2001, which was Val Kilmer. You're like, it's Adam West. It's Adam. I always, I always (laughs) used to say Adam West. It was Adam West. No, but, but, but afterwards. I was in a three-year depression. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. When that whole thing fell apart. Because I identified with that and it took me three years to rebuild myself to a place to even come back to a set, to even come back to doing what I love to do. It took literally years. I I hid in a garage, my friend's garage, organizing comic books to sell them on eBay. That's how I made a living because yes. I couldn't even do anything else. I was just that. And that was my numbing, by the way. That's how I numbed myself. It's just the, the monotonous of organizing comic books because I, for whatever reason in this life, I don't like drugs. I don't like drinking. I wish I did in some times when I was, I was in a lot of pain. I wanted to numb myself, but I, I didn't have those options. Those options were just not available to me. So, yes. it, it, so as you were telling your story, I, I automatically thought of mine and I had to rebuild myself uh, to be able to get to the place. And then it's a constant rebuilding throughout our That's life. That's amazing. Yeah. But, but I think people listening should really think about what they're using to numb their pain or, or try to numb what's happening to them because I agree with you 100%, 2020, 2021, it was a reset button for millions of people around the world. Yeah. In a billions. way that's billions actually, that never has happened in the history of humanity. That yes. the entire planet 
at one moment stopped. Yes. And we started fighting for toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> right. That was the first. Which was the insanity. That was the first numbing. You know what right. I mean? The first, like, I, okay, my, I, can't have, I, I can't have a dirty ass. I can't have, right. my butt has to be clean. Like it was, it was just it's insane. So weird. It was the weird, like, do you, do you, did you ever, in Walking Dead, did you ever see people freaking out about toilet paper? No. Right, right. <laughs> They're freaking about water and food, not toilet right. paper. <laughs> No, I'm, I, I know, like, I'm not worried about having the food that I'm going to shit out to, to wipe my butt. Like it's the, it's just the after for sure. I have a smorgasbord of food in the next two years. There's no question, but yes. for some reason, toilet, toilet yeah. paper is like, I can't, I can't, God forbid, have to use anything else like yes. a bidet. That's why I have a bidet now. So I don't have to worry about these. Things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. What if the next one is a mad rush on bidets? Like just, there's just. Well, I I need bidets for my whole I need, family. I need my bidet. I need a bidet for every and a backup bidet in case the bidet breaks. <laughs> right, right, just in case. Yeah, well, man. No. Well, and you, I'll, can I play off of what please, you just said? Please, there? please. What you just said is profound because let's talk about what this is. Let's go even deeper about what it is that we're numbing because it's not the thing. The thing, becoming a director, becoming a successful stand-up comic, getting in a relationship, like getting that money is is burying some default setting that you're used to having in your body that's a negative meaning like falling in love is so great because it's covering up the default setting of your fear of being alone mm -hmm. right being being rich for some people is this great thing because it covers up your default setting of shame that you have in your body because your mom said once you'll never be anything unless you make money right. So we have what I've, the way I've experienced it in the last two years, I had so many shifts because I was about to do major tours with huge speakers and stuff. And then 2020 happened and I ended up just being home for two years. And that was the first time since I was a child that I didn't travel and I just stayed home and I did a bunch of one-on-ones and thank God, because I am such a better father in the last couple of years because of this, I have a five-year-old daughter who is the most incredible thing. And I would have been on tour. I would have been here and, and I, I am so grateful for what's changed. But one of the things I've learned in the last two years is that, so imagine it this way. Let's say you're a child and you have a thing happen that's too much for your body to handle. Like a dog snaps at you, a dad hits you, a mom shames you, whatever. This feels so painful that what your your little child body can't handle it. So what's it do? It creates a character that you think is you. It goes, okay, if dad yelled at me because I got a D in school, so I'm going to become this crazy achiever. Right. So now your identity falsely is actually an identity you created to prevent trauma from happening again. And imagine that under that is a trauma that's still sitting, still sitting in your body. And this is why we have such a hard time just sitting with ourselves and being because that thing would finally come to light because we're at a consciousness where we could heal it if we wanted to, but we're not aware of this. So we get this false identity that says, I'm an achiever. No, no, no. You created the achiever so you wouldn't get hit. Or it says, I'm whatever. And we create this false us, right? The numbing is here to help you numb this thing that's a false you that could come out of your body, that could leave your body, right? So when you're more connected to the now, the pattern in the body that says, I'm a worrier, well, that's just because you experience trauma and you it's still sitting in your body, right? Mm -hmm. 
and, and you haven't forgiven that thing. So you keep recreating it, right? If you had a dad who abandoned you as that example, you're going to actually look for people that abandon you so you can keep them here so you can heal your shit with your dad, right? So the way that I'm seeing it and what I've been doing, I've had a couple thousand one-on-ones in the last two years. And <clears throat> one of the things that I do is I, I notice that people are like, I got to build this business. I got it, whatever. And I'll say, if you don't, what happens? And they'll say a sentence like, then I'm a failure. Then I'm unloved, right? And then what I have them do is I have them say something that the energy of failure in the body has never heard. You're allowed to be a failure in my body. Meaning like, I'm here with you even if you're a failure. I love you even if you're all alone. I love you even if you're abandoned. See, we've created a false belief that that thing that we that we don't want to have happen again from our childhood, that if it happens, it equals death. And so we're in this bizarre box of preventing an arbitrary thing that everyone has a different one of, that if that happens, I die. Well, that character that's preventing it would die. So what they do is they take a deep breath and they say to this pattern, whatever, you're allowed to disappoint other people. You're allowed to be a failure, you're allowed to feel disappointed. You're allowed to feel abused, right? It's not saying we're aiming for it. It's saying I'm with you even if you feel that way. This causes almost every time a bunch of tears to come out of their eyes. And that te those tears are a false pattern that they thought was them that is not them. So when we are like, oh, my God, I'm a successful stand-up comedian or I'm a successful director, that's helping not have a, a, a default setting be looked at. Like when you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm now a successful director. Now I'll be loved. The default setting in the body was I'm not lovable, right? Just as is. I'm not deserving just as is. I'm not love just because I exist. It's only if I achieve something or prevent trauma, right? And so those patterns are now coming to light. And it's kind of amazing if you look at it from a universal perspective, it's going for us to move forward. Those false identities of trauma that you've kept buried in your body through addictions, through whatever, those patterns are gonna come to light whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. So imagine up to 2019, you lived in what you thought was a one story house and you kept your circumstances really good. And we used just all this think positive stuff at that time, right? Like just the secret, think positive. Imagine that the spotlight's bigger and God's shining a light on the fact that you actually have a two story house. And the two story, the second story has a bunch of bodies in it and all these patterns and rats that we need to clear out. So the bad news is there's a bunch of darkness in your body. The good news is your consciousness can see it now. It was there also 20 years ago, but you couldn't see it. So imagine that the lens that you're looking through is bigger and it's going, I'm gonna take the patterns inside of your body that you've been burying and we're gonna release them. We're gonna heal this. So we do that by getting here because the now will will wipe that shit out. You start to, oh my God, I didn't feel loved when I was eight. I didn't feel this thing. And you get present for it and that turns into tears and comes out. And I actually pretty much have yet to work with anyone in the last two years that this didn't work for. We did one-on-ones and found everybody's pattern and found that they're under this illusion that that, that pattern uh, is them. So you can't get rid of a pattern if you think it's you, but you're the whole now that's seeing the whole thing.
And when you realize that, then the pattern that's been pre preventing that pain from happening can die. And then the pain that you're judging still can fall out of you too. It's, it, it, I mean, as you're talking, all I can think about is my journey in my head of like, okay, yeah, that's what that happened. And that one happened and that would happen. And my God, if you, if I would have had the success of being a director, making that $20 million movie, working with big movie stars at that time in my life, I would have absolutely self-destructed. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because it, right. would have built, it would have built up to a place where imagine the people, which we've seen this happen in, in Hollywood a lot, where there's an actor who blows up their yes. first movie, blows up, or the director who comes out with- Way too quick. When they're young. And then maybe the second one does well. But when one of them wobbles, they just, everything goes away. Like they just self-destruct. Yes. Because they don't know what to do anymore. Yes. They just truly don't know what to do anymore because they've identified so wholeheartedly with the thing as opposed to themselves. And I think as we get older, and I think you and I are of similar vintage, you know, when we're younger, at least at least our generation, at least, um, we when we look back upon what we were when we were younger, you start seeing these patterns. If you're doing some self-work, if you're doing some inner work. So yeah. when I started to write my book on my experience of the mobster and all that, all of that started to come out. It was massive. It was a I was crying while I was writing. It was just this kind of cathartic event. And then I started thinking like, you know, why hadn't I gotten the shot to direct bigger movies or bigger things throughout my career? And then I started looking at who I was attracting to myself during those times. Yeah. A decade. And I'm like, oh, I kept bringing in people that were just not right. Sabotage. I was self-sabotaging yes. myself because I was afraid of the pain that I associated with being a director. Yes, I get it. You see totally. what I mean? It's like yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So it's when I finally realized that and I started to like, oh, I'm I'm not who I who I who it is that I am. And and then there was this whole three year a walkabout I did selling olive oil and vinegar in LA uh, when I opened up a gourmet shop. And that's a whole other conversation, that's awesome. <laughs> um, which is just, but it was that I needed to, that was almost a cleansing of my filmmaking. Yes. It was interesting. And then after I got out of the olive oil game, I started podcasting. Yes. And, and then I was like, Oh, this is kind of what I'm really here to do. I could do the other stuff too. This is what I really love to do, but I'm not, I don't wake up in the morning going, Alex is a podcaster. Yes. That's not what I say. I'm just like, I'm Alex. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a podcaster. I have multiple things. I am. Yeah. And not one thing defines me wholly. So yeah. I, I live within the me as opposed to the it. And that it's has liberated incredible. me and it's yes. liberated me tremendously throughout my life. If you think anything completes you, then you're not ready for it, right? Like, in other words, that relationship will complete me. Well, now, okay, what if they leave you? You're incomplete again, right? So so this pattern of the, the false belief of incomplete is trying to come up and die. And if you get the relationship that you think completes you, then it's on pause for a minute and it's still running right. the show. Right. So you're, you're codependent on these things. So I have a rule that if you want something really bad, you're not ready for it. 
because it's it it's it's not a match to your vibration. It's bigger than you in your mind. And and what you're talking about when these child stars or these people that get success really quickly is like their connection to their soul is not and up to par with what they perceive their connection to this success is it's higher in their opinion than their soul. So this is why a lot of child stars often fall apart, right? Or, or even I would watch comics that were young that would suddenly get crazy things, uh, you know, like they'd come on the scene and be in there for three months and suddenly be going to Montreal festival and, and, and on Leno and stuff like that. And then you'd see the drinking start to really kick in and everything. Cause it's just like, this thing is, is bigger than me. And I know that feeling, you know, like that would be the answer. If just, I get this movie role or I get this thing, the default setting is I'm nothing without it, which really the default setting is I'm nothing. I'm not anything. If just give me if, the movie so I'm something, right? Right. Oh, God, that's so – oh, my God. I mean, just working with actors in Hollywood for so long, that's what it is. Yeah. It's like if I don't get this part, I'm nothing. And that's why you have to numb yourself to survive with but drugs. But isn't that or weird? To, it's not even if I don't get this part. We're really just saying I'm nothing. Like you're, I'm nothing like, without – the yeah. relationship. I'm nothing without the part. I'm nothing without the job. I'm nothing yeah. without the money. But it's, isn't that weird? Because the default is I'm nothing. Like that. That like right. Like your default setting is I'm nothing, unless this movie calls me, which is like so that we just live. We're walking around with a bullshit false de default setting that says I'm unworthy. That's in your body. That's a lie. You ex like like Daralenka says or Bashar says you exist. You're worthy. You're, mm -hmm. you, you exist. That's your, that's it. Your worthiness isn't because you're looking through your worthiness through, through the world's ego, not through that you, through the soul of the now. Right. And so I didn't mean to interrupt that, but it's just so funny that it, it's, I'm nothing without that movie is one thing, but if we just take out without that movie, you're just saying I'm nothing. In, in, and, in talking to, you know, I've talked to a lot of spiritual leaders over the years, um, especially on this show. And I've studied people like Yogananda and 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 his lineage uh, of of yogis and things. And when you start studying these people and or meeting some of these spiritual masters, you realize something that when they walk or they talk, there is a level of confidence and energy to them that they are whole without anything else around them. That this illusion, this matrix, if you will, really doesn't define them in the least, not the clothes they wear, not the ashram that they live in, not the wealth that they might have, nothing. Yes. It's really, a, that's when, when you meet or you speak to someone like that, you, you feel that confidence, that energy. You watch old films of Yogananda speaking, and it's just like, this just sledgehammer of truth coming yeah. at you from, from the ages where when you meet someone, let's, and I, I again, since this is a theme that we've been talking about some, an actor uh, or someone in Hollywood, there's so much insecurity because they, they're holding on to things that are not permanent. But yeah. the only thing that's permanent is you, the inside of you, your soul. That is what is the truth. Right. And until you discover that truth, you're lost in so many ways. And you're just jumping from one thing to another, trying to find wholeness. 
and people go through life lifetimes like this lifetimes yes. just again high, finding i need this car i need this thing I, you know like I've, I've told my kids so many times i'm the worst person to buy a christmas present for because what do you want i'm like I don't, i'm good i know like i, I know. just i don't i don't like i don't i don't i don't need anything you know i have to find something for them to give me yeah <laughs> I'm like that so they can have they have the ability to give me something but i'm like i i Let's just go on a vacation. Like, let's give an experience. That's experiences beat things. Absolutely, I, absolutely. Because that big screen TV or that Tesla is going to be cool for like the first few days. <laughs> you tell your kids to buy you a Tesla. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'd like a Model S. A Kermit. Model S. A, a Model S, please. Yes, yeah. please. Yes, fully loaded. Yeah. And extended. Extended mileage. Add ludicrous speed. <laughs> Add ludicrous, yeah. ludicrous right. speed. Can you do that, five-year-old? Five-year-old, can you do that, please? <laughs> otherwise, no, but, I won't be happy. Or otherwise, you won't get my love. <laughs> yeah, right. That'll do it. Oh, that's, that one. Oh, that. That's the I'm, shit that made a Michael Jackson. You know, like right. Do it, or you won't get my love. Dance, dance, and yeah. and make us, or you won't get our love. And right. We all know where that went. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, there's, I think that it's really interesting because as I do this work, you know, I, I meditate all that sounds like we're really in a similar boat. It's so fun to be talking to you and, and yeah. learning more of your story as we go. Yeah. And, you know, um, what a, a way that I kind of perceive it as is a thing I've said in other interviews before is that imagine if you and I went to another planet and were raised by two 20 foot tall aliens. Have you heard this before? No, have you heard I haven't, this? I haven't heard this. Imagine where, so you go, you and I go to another planet where each separately raised by two 20 foot tall aliens. And we don't know how they, we don't know how to stay safe. We just know that one comes home drunk and he's really loud. So we start going, okay, I need to be quiet with that one. Cause I'll get hurt otherwise. And let's say the other one really loves it. If you tap dance. So every time you tap dance, that one gives you love and shows you to the other aliens. You start to, you start to wire yourself. Okay. Stay quiet with this one and then tap dance with this one. And I get love. And let's say you're raised by them for 20 years and you're worth that you're with them for 20 years doing this thing. Now your body's fully conditioned. I am a good tap dancer. I'm good at being quiet around a loud person. Right. Then you go out to the rest of the aliens and they all got their own patterns and they're like, I don't give a shit about tap dancing and why are you quiet? And you start to realize I created a prison of a false me and cut myself off from my soul me, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine now humanity through our conditioning is in a prison. Imagine people that get success too quickly are in a prison that's got gold and candy being thrown into it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And imagine 2020 and 2021 is overall a lot of people's prisons are on fire. And there's a lot of people that you were saying there could be actors watching this or you were saying actors have this kind of there's some that are like there's still their circumstances and everything. And and one thing I'll offer is they won't quite understand this now thing we're talking about until life forces it on them by kicking their ass. I've noticed that it's very hard to will your way into it fully if if it's not your it's not your like still they might hear us and go that's great but i'm gonna go get the movie like that's great but i'm gonna go and it's not until life just cuts it off from you and makes things really almost impossible to deal with that it forces you out of your prison and your prison if you were in it for 20 30 years is home and you're actually free but you were more used to being in your prison 
Luckily, many of us have had our prisons just crapped in lately, and so we're leaving it. So there's some prisons that are on fire, and there are some that are just more and more gold and candy and sex and everything being put in there, right? And so for people watching this, if you're, it's the weird thing is the good news, bizarrely good news, is if you don't get what we're talking about, Wanu, your life in certain areas, and this is actually a good thing, will in some ways fall apart. And if you have the awareness to know that that's also fine. See, a lot of people have their life falling apart, but they think that's bad because they think they're that story. Mm -hmm. But if you start to get here, then you cry out the you that thinks you needed that thing. So the great news is you're the that seemingly things that are happening now that are undoing us from our comfort if you start to get here and you forgive and you let go and you apologize and you look at yourself and you get humble and you listen more to the now than your agenda, you're going to be free. And if you're like, no, I'm going to get that part no matter what, or I'm going to get that relationship no matter what, that's the only answer to my life. Life is going to kick your ass more now. Life is kicking our ass of if we're not listening to the now and and letting go of this egoic identity that we decided of what our future was going to be. Well, th- let me ask you this, because as as you know, people going after goals, let's say in life, uh, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a, f- a football star, I want to be a comic, I want to be a director, whatever, I want to yeah. be a writer. There is a drive that you need, and a certain amount of ego yes. that you need to be able to to even attempt to achieve these goals. Yes. How can you how can you rectify the conversation we're having with the want or the need to follow something that's internal inside of you? Maybe it yes. is the story, maybe it's not the story. Obviously you're very good as a comic. You're very, you were very you you hit a lot of success in it, though it wasn't the ultimate thing you did. I've been, a, I was a working filmmaker for almost 30 years yeah. and, but yet I'm podcasting most of my days today because yeah. I found more enjoyment. This So we both have kind of similar paths, different in obvious ways, but, but kind of tones of the same. So how do you kind of talk to somebody yes. and go, Hey, follow that dream, but you're not your dream. Right. You, need well, to understand, you know what I mean? I guess I would just say where I am, and I I absolutely encourage everyone to follow what their truest thing is. I guess for me, I'm just going to say me, I've noticed more and more that life has more for me than my uh, my plans. And, (laughs) you know, like, and it has more for me than my dream. And I noticed that my dream career happened at a different level of consciousness. My dream career was when I truly believed that was the highest I knew and didn't see that there were elements of control or fear that were actually driving that career. So I'm absolutely a fan of people following what their highest consciousness is. One of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years is a lot of clients that have come to me are people who had this level of self-help in them. They were scared of the old kind of 2000 teaching of I'm scared that I'll die with my music in you, in me, you know, that was a Wayne Dyer quote. Don't, that was a very needed quote for 2020. I'm sorry, for 2000. That was a level of consciousness that was permission to get your gift out, right? I personally feel like 2022 is more, at least for me, and it seems like a lot of people, more about hearing than getting it out, right? Like, like there's a level where this voice is coming out, but I also notice that, 
you know, I'm all about free speech, of course. But I noticed that we're now a collection of egos just yelling at each other. We're just politically opposites that are just mad at each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm also about, on an even higher level, freedom to hear. Because I think that a lot of our collective egos are just screaming and it's not getting anywhere. And there's a higher us that's trying to come through. So more and more for me, at least, and this might be permission for some people who feel, for the people who keep going going after their dream and then stopping and going, why am I starting a project and going, actually, it's not it. You might have accessed a consciousness that might be higher than that I have to follow my dream thing that's actually just permission for you to listen to what it wants for you because maybe it wants to do something through you. What if there's a higher frequency than your dream that's trying to birth through you? Maybe maybe we just listen to what's here and 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 follow in the now just what feels higher minute by minute versus you know mapping out a six month plan towards your dream career. If that's truly your highest, then do that. But imagine that there's a consciousness now that goes, I kind of want the dreamer for some people, doesn't have to be you, but it could be, there could be a consciousness in the body that goes, I'm ready for the dreamer in you that maybe was also dreaming to escape a painful childhood, that maybe was dreaming to escape uh, your own judgments of yourself, to die, and that I want to work through you. Mm-hmm. And that 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 there might be, there might, I mean, at one point I'm at the height of my comedy career and just let go of it. And then all of a sudden evolving out loud, this, this event that this creation that came through me, this combination of comedy meets transformation was bigger than what I could see. I had to follow a let go of this, not see why the hell I was doing it. And then I started getting little evidence of more fulfilling happening, but I had to follow the now more than an agenda. I couldn't, if you told me leave stand up because you're going to create this thing for the next 20 years called evolving out loud or whatever, I'd be like, I need to know what that looks like or whatever. Instead, it was like, trust me, don't know why, follow the feeling, have no idea what the hell's going on, cry out the part of you that needed certainty in the first place because I have higher. And I started realizing with a lot of different clients that had this fear that they're going to die with their music in them. They are trying to create out of a fear of wasting their life. And the belief you can waste your life is now, I think, a thing that needs to be purged because your life includes things that are beyond your agenda. And maybe you were here to just be, and maybe you were here to go through dark times, and maybe you were here to not know for a while. And maybe in those moments, the universe is taking you to a higher thing than your agenda. So so at one level, if you feel like you have this dream and you know that's it, I am such a fan of you following that. But I'm also here for the people who keep trying to figure out what their dream is or and and or having this dream, but then it keeps collapsing. It might be that your consciousness is too high for you to follow through in the achievement of that thing that you think will make you something because you're connected to something that knows you're already something and it's got better for you and it needs you to just let go of the attachment to any way. Just follow the now, follow what your truest thing is. There's a teaching every second happening inside of you. So there's a consciousness birthing that's 
the universe's dream through you that's bigger than you could ever see. And that's where life starts to be breakthroughs and releasing and crying and holy shit all the time. I can't, I can't agree with you more because I do absolutely believe that life has much, the universe is going to do things. It's going to create things in your life that you truly have no understanding of. I'm an example of that. You're an example of that. Yes. With this, this idea of following your dream if you wouldn't have been a comic, you wouldn't have built up the tool sets that you would have need and the experience that you needed to overcome in order to do the work that you're doing. Fair statement? Potentially, I don't. I don't know that that's for sure. No, no I mean, nothing's but, for sure. You but, know what I mean? Like, but the way like, the blue, but the way the blueprint was laid out, how we see it, yes, that sounds I, that would make sense. And I then, definitely would say, without being a stand-up comic, I wouldn't have developed the skills to be able to communicate this well. I wouldn't have been able to just, you know, default to delivering stand-up off the cuff through my teaching. Sometimes, you know, right. Right. Like there's but, definitely skills and hours on stage that have accumulated. Absolutely. And then, but the breakdown that you went through because of your stand up. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show, which is such an odd thing because the skill, the one of the biggest tools in your toolbox is comedy, but you're now using it differently. So right. that skill, that whole mission of the thing that you were doing had to be broken down in this really dramatic way, as you told at the beginning of, the, of our conversation. And that's the thing that kind of pushed you towards the Tony Robbins. Yes. And pushed yes. you and then it, it made you start to change. So it was all if you look back, it seems like a master plan that nobody had any blueprint of except maybe someone you know, the universe, if you will. Same thing happened to me. The exact same process. My dream is to become to, to become a you know big director, all this stuff. But the skills that I've picked up along the way about communication, about how to tell a story, about yes. all of this, all those little tools have made me the the kind of communicator that I am today. So even yes. all the pain and and to be fair, without the pain of my events with the mobster, I wouldn't have made such an effort to try to save other people the pain of this industry. That's yes. what my first podcast is all about. It's about helping filmmakers and screenwriters avoid pitfalls and to protect themselves, to understand what they're getting into. If I wouldn't have gone through that massive amount of pain and then suck in the next 15 years of ups and downs, I wouldn't have felt the need to start that, which then has turned into all the other things that I'm doing now in this space. So again, Yes. We needed that initial dream to get the yes. ball rolling, but it's going to turn into something else. And yes, there are those people who I'm going to be an actor and you win an Oscar and then you're Meryl Streep. Like there are those right. people. Well, and and that that's that's so big because I'm not I'm absolutely not saying following your dream is a problem or anything. Agreed. I'm kind of saying, you know what I mean? Yes, and and I'm more saying like, yeah, those things that I did were the highest I knew at the time. And right? And so us following us following the highest we know, like everyone's at a different consciousness, right? Like for instance, there's some people, if you're having a problem with, with something and you want to protest and you've been a victim your whole life, like standing up and going to a Capitol with your signs is absolutely 
Yeah. A, an ascension in consciousness for you where you went from a victim to an achiever. So the me at 12 that started becoming a stand-up comic was absolutely the highest I knew and my journey was perfect, right? But then there's some people who've been protesting those things forever that might be like, there's something in me that feels like I could contribute more to this cause in a different way. And then you start to go, okay, well, there's if there's 5,000 people protesting at the Capitol because of something they don't want, what if that was 5,000 Yoganandas? <laughs> what if they were bringing 5,000 Gandhis out? I'm not even talking about Gandhi followers. I'm talking about Gandhis. what if there was 5,000 Gandhis? What if there were 5,000 Martin Luther Kings, right? We're talking that could be birthing, right? And so you start to realize for some people, me at a loving frequency, if you had a, if you had a million Mr. Rogers on the planet, healing all the murderers of the planet by being an unconditional space of love for them, you start to realize that it actually is an ascension at one point to go to an even higher frequency, right? So uh, I guess for me, I've done so much meditation and connection that I'm finding that there's no achievement, even getting in the now, making now a future concept, that's better than the now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Like right now, like I am just at a place where I'm really experiencing the truth of in this moment, even if you have all these patterns that exist and all these things that you think you need to overcome in this moment, you are free. Mm -hmm. And the ego goes, it's when I understand what's wrong with me that I'll be free. And I'm like, nope, that actually keeps you in prison right? For some people and some people that would be ascension. Does this make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and so, so to understand we're completely free, then we undo even the concept of the idea that you could waste your life or a life is better lived. Had you made a hundred billion books sold, right? Like there's a great line in law of one that says, if you, if you serve one, you serve all. So I find that me doing a one-on-one -on -one with someone or even me choosing my highest for myself is a better service to humanity than if I have a book go New York Times bestseller again, right? Like it's not based on how many numbers you get. It's based on the frequency you're emitting, mm -hmm. right? And so for some people, they thought the highest frequency would be to achieve their dream, but they might be connected to a frequency that's even past that and goes, nope, forgive your dream and be here. I got a better dream for you, right? That's, I mean, that's absolutely beautiful. One thing I wanted to ask you, fear is something that's so prevalent in our our psyche as a society, as a, as a species. And we do have negative bias. You know, we are built to look at the negative of things in life because this is a, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. Um, and I, I think I saw somewhere, I think in Harvard or Yale, they did a, they did a, a study where it's like for every nine negative things, you see one positive comes through things like that. So we, right. we are heavily, heavily neg have a negative bias. So fear is something that's, you know, always look at the worst, in a situation as a survival yes. mechanism. How can we overcome these kind of fears that prevent us from getting to, to higher stages of consciousness, to, to higher achievements in our, in our life, in our career, in our dreams, in our relationships, 
uh, and, and break through those fears that are basically built within us. They're built. There's no one else that's creating them, but us. Yes. unless there's a tiger in the room and then that's a safe kind of fear. Well, that's what it's for is if there's a tiger in the room, right? right. Like it's literally for, if there's a gunman in your house and the gun's aimed at your head or the house is on fire, mm-hmm. but we, we use it for everything, right? <laughs> in my eyes, fear is an invest is an opportunity to go to a deep investigation, right? All fear in my eyes, in my eyes, comes from other than true survival, like I need this to run up a tree if there's a tiger or whatever. Sure. Like, but we all are weirdly scared of different things, right? What, we would all have the exact same opinion on the same president if if it was really outside of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Like all of us would b- believe 100 percent. These Congress people are bad. These ones are there were triggered because of something that's inside. So you start to realize you're mm-hmm. you're not scared of things outside of you unless it's literal fight or flight. You're actually scared of stuff that's inside of you. Right. And so you use the outside to trigger something that's inside. Right. That hasn't been seen. Mm-hmm. And what I love to do is I know I have enough knowing that whatever the fear is, if it's not literal fight or flight, mm-hmm. that I get to do more investigating. And I kind of get excited because I'm like, I've done all the cool things with this stuff still in here. What am I like when this is gone? Right. So when I notice that, oh, I'm I'm worried about something, I'm worried, whatever, they'll say something about, they'll attack me that, that I, I that it won't be successful, that someone will hurt me, that... I, I, that I'll fail, whatever it is. Oh, there's an investigation here. So I start with the first thing, like whatever the thing is you're allowed to, they're allowed to, whatever it is, they're allowed to talk crap about, you're allowed to be, um, criticized. You're allowed to, whatever the fear is, like you're allowed to fail at that audition. You're allowed to have people judge you. You're allowed to be unseen by your dad. Right. So that's the first thing, because it it only wants to know that you are with it. It actually you're creating this middleman that needs to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if you're literal children, like my five year old daughter, if she came in and said, I feel like no one loves me. Imagine if I how weird it would be if I was just like, well, let's put some makeup on and run over to the neighbor's house and make you tap dance in front of them. And maybe they'll like you. <laughs> that would be nuts. But that's well, that how- that does happen, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure but somebody that, that does somebody. happen with other parents, right? <laughs> but we have the at least awareness to go versus just giving her a hug and going, "You're allowed. You can totally feel that way here." That's what she needs to know. Now we would never do that with our kids, but we sure do that with our own inner children. Absolutely. I feel unloved. Okay, I'm gonna make the video bigger. I need to get more views. I'll be loved when it hits a billion people. Whatever. I right. need more views. I need more downloads. I need more likes. Right. That's, what, that's everybody's looking like how many likes? Cause my whole identity is attached to likes or, right. or downloads. Now, wouldn't that be weird if, if Vivi, my daughter said, I don't feel like I'm, I'm liked. And I'm like, well, here's how we get likes. Like, I want you to watch <laughs> this course, your... watch this course, read this book. Yeah. I need you to take this marketing class and I'm going to say branding all day. Brand, <laughs> brand building. We need to start brand building. Leave yeah. Elmo alone. We're going to brand build today. You hey, are my, a brand. My, hey, guys, my daughter doesn't feel loved, so we're going to build her brand. That's what we are doing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Do you know how many clients I have to undo marketing courses from? Oh, my because God. They, 
they have what their soul wants to do. And then they have all this like, yeah, I'd love to do that. But I was told I have to post twice a day on Instagram. And I'm just like, by someone else who did a thing. Like when people teach you how to do what they did in a different time that was successful for them, that'd be like taking a songwriting class and Michael Jackson being like, write Billie Jean. That's what I did. It was a hit. You know, you're like, I get to tell yeah, you the story. You already did that. that. I was like, I was at Comic-Con years ago and Quentin Tarantino was on stage and some kid asked him like, what advice do you have for filmmakers trying to break into the business? And Quentin Tarantino stood up and said, write Reservoir Dogs. That's all did I he know. Really? He literally said, write oh Reservoir God. Dogs. That's, it I was a huge how, hit. It was a huge hit. Write Reservoir Dogs. That's what I did. I don't know what to tell you. That's how I broke into the business. Right. I can't tell you how to break into the business because everyone's way is different. But it was just so beautifully presented. Yes. It's like, right, Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> That's a great, well, and you know what's amazing is what that also brings up is we don't understand that the factor of what also makes something is the consciousness it's in. In other mm. words, I watched a special recently on Netflix about Woodstock 99. Oh God, yes, I saw it. Oh my God. Did you God. see it? Oh my God. Now, what were they trying to do? They were trying to bring the same feelings back that they created on a conscious shifting hippie movement in 1969. But with Limp Bizkit. <laughs> but with Limp Bizkit <laughs> in a time where that breakthrough isn't what the universe wanted. The universe isn't trying to break... Like 69, they're getting out of the Vietnam War and, right. and you're you're trying to bring tr – that is that was a true conscious shift, but the factor also was the time it was in. So when, when we do this all the time when we say as a person, I want to feel how I felt five years ago when I was in that relationship. I want to feel like I felt 10 years ago when I was on top of the moon when I was doing this thing. Don't try to be what you were in the past. Don't try to be what anyone else was in the past because there's a new you trying to come through. So we keep trying to orchestrate movements that worked 80 years ago. And, and like the, the Martin Luther King March, for instance, might not work the same way now because the consciousness is different. And there might be an inner shift that we're trying to have that we've never seen. But that sounds to me like what the universe is trying to do that's so cutting edge, but is not familiar to us, right? So so that's exactly, Quentin Tarantino's answer is hilarious because like, of course, if you rewrote Reservoir Dogs and put it out now, it wouldn't work. Uh, Woodstock 99 you could feel, I remember when it was coming out, right. how I was like, that's not going to work. That doesn't feel, agree. and it was even created by the same dude that did Woodstock. And it came out and it was people lighting themselves on fire and sliding around in shit mud and and it, it was robbing um, each other and dying. <laughs> like like it, it was, was just like this nightmare and and this dark way overheated, terrible event that that you have rage against the machine and Limp Biscuit screaming, don't you want to hit something? That breaks all the yeah. Woodstock guys talking like this is a love thing. It, and like, you know, there's, you, you got to hear what the consciousness is of the time. And that what's the consciousness of today? Not what did you do yesterday that worked? What is trying to come through you right now? Right. So even if, so when you get a marketing class, it's like, this is the strategy I used in 2008 to whatever. That doesn't mean you should. Right. Well, I mean, and so many times I've, I tell, I tell the filmmakers that I counsel and even on my shows, I tell, because a lot of them still think it's the nineties and mm -hmm. that 
the film movements and making independent movies is that time. It is not. You are not Kevin Smith. You're not Spike Lee. You're not Richard Linklater. That was that time. Just right. like you're not Steven Spielberg in the 70s. You're not right. Coppola in the 70s. You're not Milius or or um, George Lucas. Like That was that time. Just like you're not Hitchcock in the 20s. Like it, it, It's a different... Dude, you're not uh, even you in the 2000s. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, like, like it, yeah. you ha- you have to find out, which brings me to the, the next thing is authenticity. And I always tell people, if you want to succeed at anything in this life, you need to find that sauce that I call it the secret sauce inside of you. The thing that nobody else has that authenticity. And yes. that is, that's what people are attracted to reasons why my podcast do well is because I am a hundred percent authentic to who I am. And I'm truly being authentic. I'm not like, I'm going to make a money grab and make a podcast. Like that's not, I'm not Woodstock 99 podcasts are hot. Let's try to do something cool. No, I'm actually authentically trying to help trying to be curious with my, with my guests and have conversations that are deep and meaningful for the audience listening, but that's an authenticity and Mm. every single person in history who has ever been successful was authentic to their, their selves, to their soul, to their inner secret sauce. So mm-hmm. we use actors, we can use writers, we can use, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe was Edgar Allan Poe. Dickens was Dickens. Shakespeare was Shakespeare. These people had a connection to who they were and weren't afraid. And this is the key. Weren't afraid to show it to the world, warts and all. And that's what people are attracted to. I think that's one of the reasons you're so successful because you are completely 100% authentic and you also make people laugh, which is also helpful. (laughs) Well, you know, here's an irony too, is the more you find that authentic thing that's trying to come through you, the less it's even scary to do it. It like takes you to a level where it's not, I got to get this out. It's like, just like, oh, I'm in a world where that's me. And it's not like this overcoming feeling that you you, you have when you're not authentic, where it's like, you oh, know, God. you know, like like you actually kind of when you find that real you, you actually access some other invincibility energy that makes it not even a big deal to put it out. You know, it's but it's the first part true. is the, the first, first time. Part, yeah. <laughs> the first time is really hard, but it's much harder to keep a mask on. Yes. And it's much harder to be someone else, which always. is what people are always trying to do. They put a mask on, they try to pretend, they try to, they put clothes on, they they act, they have to like get, you know, certain things, have to wear, wear certain clothes, get in certain cars. This is all part of the masking. Yeah. Of, of, and that's hard, man. I did it when yeah. I was in high school. I remember I did it through a lot, a lot of parts of my life that I tried to be someone I wasn't. And then the moment I decided to be myself, so much easier. It's like yeah. the heavy lifting is off. Like you could take the jacket off. You could take the mask off and just be you. And if any bullets start coming towards you because of like people not liking who you are, you're just like, bing, 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 just bounce off of you because you're like, if you don't like me, man, that's your problem. That's not mine. And that's what I, people are attracted to. We do get this choice. I think Jim Carrey said something similar to this, but we get this choice between being at one point, I think Jim Carrey said this, there's a choice we get at one point where I'm either going to be what I truly am and risk losing everyone and everything in my life, even though I probably won't, but you can, you're willing to lose it all for, for whatever. Like my highest intention is to learn what I truly am and I'll let go of everything for it. Right. That's, that's where all your power is. Or 
you'll give up what you truly are and be what you think that people, you know, want to see. And you'll go to the grave with people never knowing who you truly were. And I, you know, I think every, I, he said that there's one moment where that happens. I think that choice happens every day. I think that it's like continually either going up to more you and there's a new chapter to each day that you've never seen that takes you even higher or, you know, sell out a little bit and be what you, <laughs> what you think people want and then learn from that lesson and you can go up right now. I'm kind of like go up and then, Oh, Oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I sold out. Oh shit. No, I'm not. I'm going you know, and, and you just keep finding this authentic you through doing that work. Right. So yeah, there's a, there's an, ins for everyone watching, there's an insane you that's birthing. That's more powerful than anyone you've ever idolized than anything you've ever seen. And it's trying to come through you. And I think it doesn't, it's not even just a new you is trying to birth through you. I think a new planet is trying to birth through you. I think the more you're in the now that you'll notice that the I've had so many experiences, I'm sure you have too, where the world weirdly mirrors what I just did. Like, have you ever forgiven someone and they called you? Have you ever like just oh, let yeah. go of something? <laughs> and then like you notice that the thing you were holding on to isn't as stringently holding on to you. Like you, you go to a different frequency and you almost wonder if this is a virtual reality that shows you what you just healed inside is being mirrored on the outside. I've seen that so many times with clients when they let go of the, finally let go of the thing where that a frequency where it doesn't matter, all of a sudden it heals itself on the external too. And so I think a new world is trying to birth through you, not just a new you. Kyle, I could keep talking to you for hours. My it's really friend. fun. Man. It's so much fun. Dude, you, listen, you're definitely coming back on the show. We got to keep it. We got, I mean, I literally have 30 questions. I never even talked to you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> we just sure. kept going and going. I'm so, here anytime, brother. Brother, it has been such a pleasure. Can you tell everybody where uh, where they can find you, uh, what kind of, uh, where they can find out the work you're doing, books and courses and one-on-ones, yeah. -on all that kind of stuff? Yes. So my, I get giddy talking about it because it's so amazing. We created a membership site called the Absolutely Everything Pass. It's got thousands of people on it now, creating an amazing community. It has probably about a thousand hours of backlogged content. Plus, I do a live event every Sunday. Other teammates do a live event Monday and Tuesday called It's Totally Possible, where they literally riff all the things that are totally possible and create this different frequency. Tuesday mornings, I have different guest speakers come in and do interviews with them. Wednesday night, I do a Q&A. And now I have a new series called Hot Seat on it where you can watch me work with in the next few months, I'm, I'm working with people. I'm gonna do a hundred hot seats. You're gonna watch me take a person around an hour and break down all of the lies that are in their body and then see what comes through. And you can see on YouTube, tons of videos of me doing work with people where I shift their reality. And it's my favorite thing. And um, it's something that is is changing people's lives, pays for itself over and over and over. It's crazy affordable. And a lot of our money goes to different charities. We just recently announced that we're doing an event in March. Uh, that, that event will take place in Sedona. 
And it's the event is is all the money of this two day live event is going to Operation Underground Railroad, who's the group that is yeah. stopping child trafficking. And we announced it about five weeks ago, maybe, and we've brought in two hundred and twenty six thousand dollars for them oh so my far. God, that's amazing. And they're just telling us stories of what that money has rescued and arrested, and that it's just like bringing darkness to the light everywhere. So we have a two day event in Sedona that's eighty percent sold out, and it's six months away. And uh, it's called um, Freeing All Children Inside and Out. And the purpose of the event is to free your inner children that's got its own warden that says you can't or you have to do what everyone else says. And then also literally freeing children that are are being trafficked. And this group, Operation Underground Railroad, is profound. We just had the founder, Tim Ballard, on and was one of the most amazing interviews ever. And all of this is on the Absolutely Everything Pass. It's $79 a month. They can cancel any time. I promise you, it will pay for itself over and over. All of my live stand-up events where I do talks, two-day events, everything that shifted people, they're all in there. If you watch that and don't completely shift your career, your income, your story, like then you're missing out because it's crazy. So it's called the Absolutely Everything Pass. They can get it on absolutelyeverything.tv. They can get... I have two books. My favorite one by far is The Illusion of Money. It's great. That's the second one. So yeah, good. thank you, brother. It's I appreciate so good, it. Man. It's they so can get good. that. And uh, God, we have 500 videos on YouTube, you know, and we got, I'm here. Um, listen, brother, um, is there a message you would like to leave us with? Just you're totally free. You are free right now. Don't try to understand it. Don't try to prove it to yourself. Just find the freedom in your breath right now. Just connect to your, just, the air going in, you're free. You will discover a forgiveness. You will discover a release. You do not even need to do the work to get to the freedom. Just start here at the freedom and see what happens as a byproduct of your freedom versus your, when I get this, I'll be free. Screw that. You're free. Let's see what happens from that. Brother, it has been a pleasure, an honor talking to you, man. And I hope this conversation helps a lot of people out there. So thank you. Thank you again for all the work you're doing, my friend. Honored to be with you, man. I can feel your soul. You're a good guy. I want to thank Kyle so much for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Kyle. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get his books, his programs, and other things, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 284. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. 